and welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 74. I'm Kay, here with my co-host Taz. Hello! Today we'll be discussing the 8th episode of season 4, I Shrink, Therefore I Am. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of I Shrink, Therefore I Am. John and Naranti are returning from a grocery run when Pilot's cheery description of how the crew is faring alerts them to a danger on Moya. John must fight a group of bounty hunters who have the whole crew hostage in a mano a mano fight a la Die Hard. He ends up teaming with Scorpius and taking out all the bad guys while still sniffing drugs. So this episode combines the tropes of one loose non-hostage going around killing the bad guys and having to save everybody else, and the one where the bad guys could make people really, really tidy and carry them around, which I thought was actually a really cool part of this episode. So going in, I hadn't really remembered much about it beyond that the shrinking happened, but it was actually really fun. It's a fun little standalone. Yeah, I feel like this is a very charming little standalone. It's got nothing against it. It has a lot of things going for it. I think it doesn't have very much of the character stuff that we're that we love about Farscape, but at the same time it's not really missing it. You know what I mean? Like it just feels like a solid little episode. I think the one thing I got out of it was really just that John is doing the drugs hard, man. <laughs> yeah. I would say that it has more character work in it than Lava's a Money Splendor thing, because mm-hmm. I feel like we do move John and Scorpius's relationship forward. But with everyone else, everyone else is kind of just being teamy and together. And it's, you know, it's, we get a few moments here and there, but it's mostly uh, the John and Scorpius and the John show. Yeah, I definitely agree. Seeing John and Scorpius kind of getting together, it really reminded me of Rigel and Scorpius in that mm. episode where they're in the diner at the edge of the universe. I yench you yench. I yench you yench. It felt a lot like that because it really felt like the two of them had to fight a common enemy. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, whenever you're doing that, it inherently leads to more trust. You know, it it inherently leads to a very obvious, you know, the enemy of my enemy kind of feeling. Yeah. And there's definitely a shift in the relationship that happens. It's a small one, but it's still there. And we'll talk about it as we go through the episode. So do you want to just jump right in? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So uh, Norianti and John... Uh, similar to John and Shiana in the last episode of the transport pod, they are also in a transport pod <laughs> flying home after this one explicitly going out to get supplies. And John is trying to get in touch with Pilot while Norianti is doing some weird massage dancey thing behind him and, you know, talking about the drugs he's taking that she has given him to forget about Aaron. So my favorite line from that little bit is, is John saying, I don't need them but they just take the edge off. And it's just like, John, you're taking drugs. Anytime you say you don't need it, you're you're lying to yourself. <laughs> yeah, I have to admit, I know that last episode we'd kind of talked about, is it actually addictive? Is it not addictive? I mean, I think the fact that he's literally taking it all the time is kind of like, it's addictive. <laughs> yeah, or at least, yeah, so something going on there that is just not healthy with his coping with dealing with his feelings for Aaron. And then he actually does get in touch with Pilot, and that's going to be our first quote because it's fantastic, because stuff is not quite right on Moya. Crichton? Pilot, there you are. It's about time. Hey, look, get all the hands down to the hangar. I got a boatload of crap for you guys. Unfortunately, nobody is available to assist you at the moment. Well, what are they doing? Watching Jeopardy? Get them off their butts. Let me talk to Captain James T. Dargo. <laughs> Captain James T. Dargo. <laughs> Carl Dargo is currently helping Rigel with his laundry. And Aaron's writing some poetry. Uh-huh. What about uh, Jan and Sakozu? Enjoying each other's company. Preparing a meal for everyone but Rigel. He's not hungry. Right, well, tell him to save me a plate. I'm starving. Pot out. Now, isn't that lovely? Everyone is getting on so well. Crickets. 
Something's wrong. Maybe the game's not over with, or Scorpio's really loose on the ship. <laughs> That's amazing. I just love Pilot's description of everybody doing something that they hate. You know, Dargo helping out Rigel, Rigel actually doing his own laundry. I mean, I'm sure Rigel does do his own laundry because no one else would help him, but no one would help him, right? <laughs> I think he could probably bribe somebody into doing his laundry. Like, I'm sure he could bribe Chiana into doing it. Maybe, but there's going to be a price there because she's not going to let him get away with stuff either, you know? Oh, no. I mean, like, bribe <laughs> as in, like, give her something in return. Like, pay her. <laughs> pay her to do his laundry. Yeah. But no, I think that Pilot here is just fabulous. First of all, because of how well he knows the crew, you know? Number one, how mm -hmm. well he knows the crew. And then also just John immediately picking up on something is very, very wrong. And Noranti, who's all, like, hippy-dippy in the background, being like... That's so nice. Everybody's <laughs> getting along. <laughs> Meanwhile, John is like, red alert, it's time for us to worry about Scorpius having escaped his cell. And I think that's a very interesting call out here because it, I think it's immediately referencing the previous episode, mm -hmm. John Quixote, where that was the fear that was in the central part of the game that Stark made, you know, that the Avatar Stark created from john's fears it's like scorpius is loose okay so the next part of the game is scorpius is loose so that's like forefront in john's mind and it mm -hmm. wasn't true in the game um but as we see it actually is true here in this reality scenario where they are going into a bad situation yeah yeah exactly so noranti makes herself some sort of cocktail that puts her in a coma that will let her survive mm -hmm. in vacuum for a while which yep. again, this is like, I, this this episode calls something out later, which I hadn't even thought of. But this is like one of those moments when you're like, Farscape hand wave. Because the yeah. issue with surviving in the vacuum isn't just like the lack of oxygen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's like all your, your cells in your body bursting because there's no pressure to hold them together. Yeah. But so we're like... <laughs> Naranti makes herself a magic potion. Okay, cool. Out of just things she happens to have on the pod, which is so Naranti. I love you it. You know, I really imagine her dress as being like a, a coat of many pockets kind of thing. Mm. Like, just like pockets all over. And she must have like 30 pounds of, of various kinds of herbs and drugs and whatever poisons on her body at all times. Because that's the only explanation for her having like the exact ingredients she needs for each specific thing that kind of just pops up out of nowhere i would buy that i would 100 <laughs> buy that i love neuranti i do too so she makes herself a magic potion john puts on a space suit and then they discover the craft of the bounty hunters attached to moya's hull and so then john does the i guess a thing that you know, works out in the end, but he crashes the pod into their ship. So now the ship is gone and they have no way of getting away from Moya. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And all the while he's pr talking with Pilot, pretending he's going to do what the bounty hunters want. So let's talk about the bounty hunters. We've got, they don't really have visible faces, but they've got this like armor on. Mm -hmm. And we have Pilot and Chiana Sokozu locked up in Pilot's den. They have these big giant magnetic handcuffs. So the, the, cover the basically the entire forearm and they're heavy and then you have rigel aaron and dargo on command and it's actually pretty funny because the bounty hunters are are after Grays's bounty uh the peacekeeper bounty on john so everybody has a price on their head but they really want john aaron and dargo are just like talking shit to the to the bounty hunters and saying like yeah you're gonna see john crying right before he kills you <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just so great i just love it yeah, the bro ship is definitely strong here. It's amazing. <laughs> and I love how like even Rigel is like sticking up for John here, you know? Mm -hmm. So John sneaks on the ship and leaving Naranti outside in space, which I'm kind of like, why couldn't you have just dragged her with you? And then she at least would wake up and like... Yeah, but then you'd have Noranti loose on the ship, and we saw what she did last time there in a situation <laughs> like this. No, I mean, like, love leave it. her in a coma. Like, leave her in a coma. Just leave her in, like, an access shaft. Okay. But actually, it okay. does provide, like, one of the better gags in the episode. So Noranti is hanging out attached to the, attached to the ship, <laughs> and um, John sneaks in, and he immediately goes through the access passages to um, command, and he sees everybody all tied up, 
and he hears the bad guy talking about how he's going to torture everybody. And then he actually, he sees Aaron and he has this flash and he's like flashing to like all the happy moments he's had with Aaron and all Mm -hmm. the like heavily emotionally intense moments he's had with Aaron. And so he sniffs the, um, the drug. Yeah. The Laka distillation of Laka that he's been taking and the bad guys actually hear it. You know, they hear Mm -hmm. it and, and it's implied that their armor has like super sensory kind of thing. Cause it's very mechanical. It's like this mm-hmm. little sensor. It's got a little red light and this like everybody freezes. And you actually see Dargo sniff too, which makes me think that he's sniffing and he actually smells John close by. And I thought he was just sniffing to cover up John's sniff. Cause like John's initial really? sniff is, I, I mean, it could be either Pretty way. Loud. I think it's like, that's actually, way. that's a good theory too. Either way. That actually makes more sense. But for me, it was just like, that's when he realizes really that, that John is there or something. But yeah, no, you're right. He's trying to cover. Yeah. Cause then the rest of them try to cover too by, by, you know, the bad guys are like quiet. And then like a minute later, they all start talking like really loudly, like we should negotiate. And then they all start babbling and you see, hear it in their own languages. So I don't know what's going on with the translator microbes, but there's just like all this white noise that, that they do so that John can roll away. Mm-hmm. And at some point in that conversation, in either right before John sniffs or somewhere around there, the bad guy actually, the head head bounty hunter, interrogates Rigel and says, like, who does John Crichton care most about on the ship? And Rigel says, me. And then this is the weird part of the first, on first watch, and it's just like, and then the bounty hunter, like, listens to Rigel's thoughts. And it's just like, whoa, yeah. mind reader. And in his thoughts, he hears Aaron and Shiana are the ones he cares about the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he says, where would John go? And Rigel's like, eh, he'd go to the center chamber for a cup of Razlik. And then he's <laughs> like, no, nah, he'd go to his quarters, and then he would get all of his weapons. So he's using Rigel, not what Rigel is saying, but what Rigel is thinking. But then, right. again, we said, like, most of the bounty hunters have, like, the supersonic hearing where they can hear things. Like, the bounty hunter, I think, before they all started talking, he was actually trying to lock on to John's heartbeat. You know, Mm -hmm. because you hear that throughout the episode where they're listening to different characters. And because of all the noise, he kind of lost it. But the whole mind reading thing is very, very different. It's very different. John now at least knows because the main bad guy is like, go to his quarters and wait for him there, you know. So John knows the bad guys know what his next step would be. So instead, (laughs) he goes down to Scorpy's quarters because he realizes that he sees everybody else and the bad guys have kind of name dropped everybody else, but he yep. doesn't see Scorpius anywhere. And he doesn't. And he runs into 1812 along the way, who is not knocked out like all the other DRDs because 1812 is not from Moya. He's from, uh, what's the name of the other? Elac. Elac. He's from Elac, so he works on a different wavelength. And this is his great surprise and his greatest fear come true. The door to Scorpius's cell is off its hinges. Like it's lying on the middle of the floor. And he's like, great. Now Scorpius is loose. So I want to play the conversation where Scorpius reveals himself to John. John. I'm not your enemy, be calm. Oh, I'm calm. I'm just a little twitchy because uh, you sold us out. Nothing of the kind. What's just going dink You're running on the loose. The only reason I escaped capture is because the bounty hunters do not know I'm here. By the time they got to my cell, I was not in it. I had that happen. Oh, I know, I know. We forgot to lock the door. The cell door was wholly inadequate. What are you saying? You opened it with your bare hands? Gloved hands, yes. You mean you could have gone out? Anytime you wanted. I never wanted to. But by the time our attackers arrived, I had to. Whoever they are, they have managed to capture Moya's crew in a matter of microns, but they must not capture you. I'll cut and run. We could not run if we wished. They've immobilized all the escape craft with magnetic locks and disabled the DRDs all except for that one. Yeah. 1812's on a different wavelength. He's not from Moya. But if he restarts the others, we'll have more firepower. I don't have time for that. I'm going. Rabbit hunting. You can't take the motor ones. I'll 
them do you think I am? Take them down one by one, the diehard way. By luring them into an ambush. You could do with some assistance. You really think our relationship has progressed that far? Just remember whose side you're on. And at the end there, right before he says, just remember what side you're on, he hands Scorpius a rifle. Mm-hmm. So I love this conversation so much. There's so much in here that's just really meaty to me. And first and foremost is that Scorpius could have got out of that cell anytime he wanted to because he has really strong he is really strong because of his scare and strength. And he he is in fact the one who ripped the door off and walked out so the bounty hunters wouldn't find him. And I just find it fascinating that he has chosen to let himself be in prison for the other's peace of mind and let them think they have control over the situation while he kind of has what, a vacation in his cell, you know, waiting to rescue John when he needs it or something. I don't know, but I just find that fascinating that that's what Scorpius has chosen to do here or in the episodes running up to this one. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it makes 100% sense because in a lot of ways that Scorpius's modus operandi is like to kind of lay groundwork and then just Mm -hmm. wait for his trap to spring. You know, that's what he did with the neural clone. You know, that's what he did. That's what he does a lot you know, is yeah. just kind of like lay this like epic groundwork and then when the timing is right, use what he has, you know? And so it makes yeah. sense to me that like he's like, okay, well, the others are not going to trust me if I show them that they can't control me. So right. I'm going to wait until a moment when I need to not be in this cell to not be in this cell, you know? Yeah. Yeah, he's also one of those characters that plays his cards very close. Mm-hmm. So he's not going to let people know what his advantages are until the time is right or his hand is forced like it is here. Yeah. So I, I just really enjoyed this idea, though, of Scorpius essentially being put in a cell and knowing he can get out at any time and what that mm-hmm. says about him. And then also, yeah, like Scorpio on vacation. Like he's, <laughs> you know, he's had a pretty stressful few months, you know? He's gotten to sleep in. He's got other people to cook for him. I mean, he probably had people to cook for him on the command carrier, but you know, it's just like catered <laughs> meals. Yeah. He gets to play chess with Sokozu. Yeah. He's got like an interesting <laughs> new, like, mini Braca who's like science mm-hmm. smart, you know? Yep. So, yeah, this is the, it was a good. And then also, I enjoyed hearing about Scorpius being like, well, we can't get away. And like mm-hmm. John's initial assumption is that Scorpius wants to cut and run because Scorpius's words and all of his actions so far have said, I want to keep John Crichton safe, you know? Mm-hmm. And so John's initial thing is like, okay, well, we can't cut and run. You know, I'm not morally going to do that. And Scorpius being like, yeah, well, we can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. He can't, he can't secret John away to protect him from from everybody and also steal him away if that was his other motive. You know what? Okay, I I need to go back to the Scorpius being locked in a cage he can get out of, though. Sure. Okay, because that means that up until now, every single time that the crew has been in danger, Scorpius has realized that they are smart enough to get out. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Because they've been in danger, like, not a few times since then. And so that means that Scorpius has literally judged each of those times to be kind of like... I'm not going to reveal myself yet because the crew is smart enough to get out of this one. Right. And I think having Sokozu, who has sort of befriended him, has helped with that because he knows that she will come and make sure that he doesn't die in a fire, for instance, as we saw in Natural Mm -hmm. Election. And, you know, they did bring him out of uh, out of his cell in natural election to help combat the plant when they put him next to Pilot, chained up, of course, because no one trusted him besides Aaron. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but that's a really good point that he is he is evaluating the danger of the situations and then trusting them. I mean, that's the other part of it is trusting them to make sure, A, the ship survives and B, he survives. Though I guess yeah. he does have, you know, the escape hatch option if he really needs it. Yeah. Ah, Scorpio, you're so multifaceted. (laughs) So the second thing that that quote really brings out to me is when John says, do you think our relationship is ready for that level of trust? And I just think, 
I feel like as an audience member, we're ready for John and Scorpius to work together because it's like two antagonists. We've been with them to get through this journey forever and ever. Oh, forever and ever. The last three seasons. And, but you have these people who, who were enemies and like bitter enemies in the way that, hey, Scorpius tortured John and then kept hunting him and then did terrible things to his brain and left him like in brain surgery on the table just to be cruel. So yeah, there's this like, level of lack of trust that is still present from John's point of view. And I feel like Scorpius is more where the audience is. And maybe that's just me having rewatched it. But Scorpius is like, yeah, you should totally trust me. Like, am I not here to protect you? And John is like, no, no, you're not here to protect me. And I just feel like that conversation really highlights that really well for where the two of them are with each other. Oh, yeah. No, I think that's a good point. And I think that the reality is that if you ran into a real Scorpius in your real life, you know, if these were real people, then the response would be, no, I should never trust you again. And I should probably kill you right now, just because having you around is a bad idea. Mm -hmm. But then you're right. We are so used to television that for as television viewers, we're like, no, now Greza is the big bad guy. So that means that Scorpius is going to work with John. You know, we're so right. used to like kind of, oh, the Spike. I think Spike is a great example of this from mm. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where it's like Spike was a bad guy <laughs> for a really long time. And then they never killed him. And so he ended up a good guy. And as viewers, you were kind of like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. When the reality right. is, if somebody like Spike was real... You should stake him, you know, <laughs> chip or no chip. Yes. And not think twice about it. You know, I guess the, I mean, this is a, a you know, torture and victim situation, but you could think the same, same thing about a domestic abuse situation, right? Mm -hmm. Like you do not go back and trust that person, no matter how much they say that they're, they've changed. They might've changed. You do not have to trust them ever again. Yeah, exactly. But as television viewers, we're like, it's kind of the Crace thing, because they did the same thing with Crace. Yeah. Crace was a bad guy, and then he was around long enough, and then he was a good guy. And it's like, that's how TV works, is that we're so used to seeing our bad guys become good guys. I think that's mm -hmm. the reason that Loki is so popular in fandom. And although I, I think that the latest, like, I think Thor Ragnarok really punctuated the bubble that was like, avengers Loki, where I'm like, mm -hmm. sure, the god of chaos is going, the god of chaos <laughs> chaos is going around saying you need to bow before me and i'm like <laughs> sure that makes sense whatever <laughs> but um yeah i i for kind of i'm losing my point here but i think that that's the reason that that fandom is so quick to forgive characters like loki and kylo ren is because mm -hmm. we've been trained to forgive them when yeah. the reality is that for the actual protagonists of the tv show they should never forgive them. The answer is never, never forgive Scorpius. <laughs> never, ever. Yeah. And so that's what I really like about watching this episode progress because we get to see John and Scorpius kind of working together. Well, John lets Scorpius tag along. He gives him a weapon at the end of this scene. <laughs> and then we actually get a really great series of interactions between the two of them as they plot to take out several of the one by one, the bounty hunters, which Scorpius actually is on board with. It's so funny when they're like, oh, plotting, yeah. and John <laughs> and he's like, you can't take them all on. They're too strong. And John's like, I wasn't planning on taking all of them on. I was going to take them out one by one. And Scorpius is like, ah, oh, guerrilla warfare. That's, you know, I agree with that. And I'm like, yeah. Scorpius, I love you. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because there's a lot of disdain that goes on from of Scorpius to John as they as they go through. So the first first thing they do is they go up to the airflow chambers that we saw in Natural Election where the big fans are, and that's where they call the bad guys and say, "Hey, I'm John Crichton, I'm here, come get me," kind of deal. And they're laying a trap. And so one of the henchmen comes in, and you have Scorpius step out of the shadows with his rifle, and he 
tries to shoot the guy and then his his gun doesn't work <laughs> and he like looks over his shoulder and then there's john with his big massive weapon that he probably stole from aaron's quarters and you know shoots the the bad the bad henchman like four or five six times because he keeps not going down and not going down until finally finally he goes down it just it just scorpius is just like you didn't give me a weapon that worked <laughs> it's so good it's so hilarious and also I think it's interesting that this bad guy took so long to go down because he literally just stands there and lets John shoot him repeatedly. And I'm Mm -hmm. kind of like, you must be really confident in your armor if you're just going to stand there and let the guy shoot you until you're dead. Yeah. And speaking of confidence in armor, like Scorpius being sent out as kind of the bait, the bad guy does shoot him, but his bodysuit is armor and he gets knocked down, but he's not harmed by it. Anyway, I want to play the conversation that follows because we get a little bit of this tension between John and Scorpius, but we also find out a little bit more about our bad guys. You didn't expect me to give you a loaded weapon, did you? Well, yes. Let's have a look at this guy. Damn. What the hell is this? Slime. It's a pumpkin hat. Kind of cool. Bioengineered armor shell. Crunchy on the outside, chewy on the inside. How are your ribs? As if you cared. My armor worked. Barely. One down. Five to go. And you have a weapon that works. No, this bazooka's out of ammo. You can have it. I may well have joined the wrong side. I just love Scorpio at the end saying, I may have well joined the wrong side after all. <laughs> and John handing him another weapon that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. It also shows kind of what John thinks of Scorpius, which is like, y'all go out there and get shot so I can see how strong their weapons are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we do find out a little bit more about the aliens. And I wanted to talk through it because I feel like there's some confusion, or at least I was confused about it. So he pulls apart the the bad guy who's lying dead, and he's like, his armor comes a- away with, with skin and bone and, not bone, but muscle attached to it. And so if I'm, I'm reading this right, it's like a creature or a person that's armor was like bioengineered and grafted onto him. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, my reading was that the creatures actually don't, they can get out of their armor if necessary, because earlier they mention that. They say, well, we Mm -hmm. can't fit inside the ducts. When they're talking about, they know that John is in the ducts now. And so we can, you know, we can't get in there. Or if we do, it would leave us really, really weak. And they're like, well, don't do that. Um, So theoretically, I guess, either that or that's just like a line that they left in before they Mm -hmm. edited it together or before the rest of the episode was written because this does not seem like you would be able to actually get out of that armor because it's attached to him it like actually keeps him working right it's like fused to the body that was kind of my read on it you'd think that they would have to because they can't be like in armor all the time they don't have families that they want to go home to at some point presumably they're earning money for a reason (laughs) yeah (laughs) Well, I just assumed that that was how their whole species was. Yeah. Or, or maybe they're aquatic or something. We're like underwater or something like that. Yeah. Well, I, I felt with the bioengineering comment, I was thinking that they could actually make their skin, their exterior be pretty much anything they want. Yeah. So, so because they're mercenaries, they grew or had armor grafted to them. Like they were able to be engineered to have armor. And maybe if one of them is a singer, they have like a really cool costume sewn onto them or something hmm. you know i don't know so yeah, that's I don't... cool world building i like it yeah that was just my little thought about that my thing with armor that's like all grafted onto you is always kind of the food and bathroom question which is kind <laughs> of like if you're ever doing world building and you have to ask how does your character go to the bathroom mm-hmm. that needs to be an answerable question do you know what I mean? yeah <laughs> yeah for sure because like that happens a lot with like costuming for women in like like sci-fi stuff where they're wearing like this like epic costume but i'm like Mm -hmm. how does she actually go to the bathroom while wearing this 
<laughs> well, it's like Chris Evans being basically sewn into his Captain America suit, too. You know, yeah. they get like scheduled bathroom breaks. <laughs> to be- <laughs> I heard Sebastian Stan had it a little easier because his uniform just had like like a little like ex- pocket thing that he could like take apart. Uh huh. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so moving on. <laughs> They now know that the guys can only be taken down by extreme, extreme force. Force, and they are also out of weapons. Yeah, or not out of weapons. They're not out of weapons. They're out of the bazooka ammo. Yeah, so they are reduced to pulse pistols, rifles, maybe four DRDs that <laughs> that eighteen twelve has brought back online. And Scorpius's face when John tells him this is like epically. Oh my god, we are going to die. Uh, I love that Scorpy still underestimates John Crichton. Yeah. So the bad guys have also at this point realized that they need to up their game. So the main bad or so one of the bad guys first in pilot's chamber comes and grabs a Kozu and Chiana like does her like magic eye thing and she slows down time so that she can see the code he enters onto his wristband before he does whatever he's going to do. Which, smart girl Chiana, love you. Mm-hmm. And she now knows the code because then he points the weapon at Sokozu and Sokozu shrinks down to little itty bitty Sokozu. Little itty bitty Sokozu is really cute. I I kind of was, I, you know how little things are just cute? Like I was really charmed by little Sokozu and then on command the same thing happens to Dargo. After a brief little scuffle, this is one of my favorite little teamy moments, which is, you know, Dargo is stood up. Uh, he had exchanged a look with Aaron because there's a calm laying on the table. Aaron mm-hmm. causes a distraction. Actually, Rigel's in on it, too. Rigel talks to the bounty hunter to make enough of a distraction for Aaron to get up and hit him so that Dargo has time to do the tongue thing to get the calm into his mouth. And then, you know, five seconds later, everybody's been beat back down because the bounty hunter bad guy is really strong. But it's just this nice little teeny moment among the three of them on command. I just love it. I loved it too. It's so classically Farscape. You know what I mean? Like, like okay. I think I know earlier in the podcast. I cannot remember the context, but we introduced like the grocery store. You know, would your main characters be able to know that you were asking for like? I think it. What is it? Potatoes or onions? Something like that. Something in the grocery store without asking. Yeah, and so this is kind of proving that it's not just John and Aaron anymore that can do the look. And formulate a plan immediately. Now it's like everybody. They've been together long enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I just love that the relationship that you get to kind of see with Aaron and and Dargo there. Because we haven't had a lot of the two of them having one-on-one conversations lately. It's been a while. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it really shows their friendship, too, as and being in sync and being partners and warriors together and knowing just what the other needs to, to do this thing. Yeah. To get the calm. Yeah, that's a good point. We really haven't seen them. And to be honest, we've kind of seen Dargo not really being anti-Aaron, but, you know, he's warning. He's been kind of team John. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for a while now. And so with the calm, Dargo gets shrunk down. The bad guy makes Aaron narrate it for John. So John yep. now knows that all of his comrades are shrunk and actually inside the bounty hunter's body. They've got like these like cups that like mm-hmm. they can suck the people into and then they Yeah, they're magnetic so the magnetic handcuffs will stick the prisoners in and then they get put into a chamber on their armor that's that's secured to the person. So the threat is okay, don't kill us because if you kill us you'll kill your friends who are now inside our bodies and you'll mm-hmm. never see them again. And and John's response with him and uh, Scorpius listening in on this would be like, great, now I can't even kill them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he has to take them out one by one, non-lethally. Well, non-like, non-shooting. Non-shooting, non-something to protect the little the little cubby hole. Yeah, so then he actually does this, like, super smart plan where he uses, like, actual parts of Moya. Like, I think it looks like he kind of, like, releases one of her, you know, like, rib pieces from a hallway. Yeah, basically it looked to me like, you know, you have something that held straight by a screw, and then he had, it's not, but it's not a screw, it's actually 1812 cutting through it, and then it whipping out at the right moment. So that's a little, another little moment where you have John and Scorpius working together. So 
and Scorpius is like, how have you survived all this time while I was chasing you? I don't understand why you're not dead. And John's like, charm and good looks and winning, what, winning attitude? Something like that. Anyway, it's really cute. It's, but Scorpius is just like completely befuddled by this plan that John has cooked up. And part of it is to put an overloaded pulse pistol in the middle of the hallway, lure the bad guy in. And so the bad guy comes and the bad guy's like, I'm not going to be fooled by that and like shrinks it. So it's this tiny little pulse pistol that goes tiny little puff. It's really cute. And then he's like, ha ha ha, you can't fool me. And that's when John says 1812, go and releases this, this thing to basically impale the bad guy. Yeah, impale the bad guy. It's pretty good. And then now they have Aaron and Chiana. And yeah. meanwhile, Sokozu and Rigel are in a cup together. And like the mathematics of this didn't make 100% <laughs> of sense to me because I'm like, Rigel was on command and Sokozu was on, you know, with Pilot. But then you have like partner swaps, I guess, because they didn't want to yeah. have it. Well, like- I think part of it is is at one point when we, we talked about this earlier, Rigel in his mind gives away that Aaron and Shiana are the most important people to John. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why the partner swap happened so that Aaron and Shiana would be together in one dude and be like, ha ha ha, we have the most important people that you care about. And that's actually kind of what the guy said when he was in front of the the uh, overloaded pulse pistols. Like, I've got Aaron and Shiana here. If you if you kill me, you'll kill you lose the two people you love the most. Mm-hmm. So I think that was what motivated it. Yeah, but meanwhile, we have Sokozu and Rigel together, and Sokozu is not handling being shrunk very well, and this is probably the best lampshading that Farscape has ever done so far, and it is so funny. Wake up. Hynerian, wake up! My name isn't Hynerian. It's Rigel the 16th. You may call me Domina. This is scarcely the time to obsess about how you're addressed. Look around you! One more prison, so what? I've seen far worse. Do you have any idea how small you are? You're not exactly a giant yourself. You have been reduced in size. You're hardly bigger than a filmabug now. Except... Except this can't be happening. (sighs) Can't it? No. No. Reduction by proportionally subtracting atoms would leave our brains too simple to function. So maybe they just made all our atoms smaller. But then we couldn't breathe normal-sized air molecules, don't you see? No. No, this, this isn't happening because it's not possible. Your brain isn't functioning. Do you think this is all just a hallucination? Do you like that explanation better? Hmm? No. But I simply cannot Neither comprehend can how the- I. Who cares? We're here, they did it, and that's that. You consider yourself intelligent? Yes, I do. Then stop behaving like a child. I am not a child. No, you're an infant. You've studied, but you haven't experienced. You know nothing of life. And you do? I've been around long enough to know how ignorant I am. I don't assume the universe obeys my preconceptions. (laughs) But I know a thrilling fact when it hits me in the face. I love that. (laughs) I love everything in this quote. I love the lampshading of the fact that shrinking science never works. Uh I love that Sakozu is like freaking out because unlike literally every other character on Moya, she has never been a prisoner before. Mm -hmm. And I love that we're finally getting Sakozu the inexperienced again, you know? Yeah. And I love Rigel. I feel like Rigel really is like peeling back layers right here and is being really honest in a Mm -hmm. way we don't always see with him. He's like, oh, it's another prison all jaded. And then he's like, yeah, I know enough to know that the universe is going to mess around with me and there's nothing I can do about it. Usually he does presume that, oh, everything's going to bow to my will. But here's this like this underneath thought process going on that he's like, yeah, I'm probably screwed. (laughs) 
And I love the reminder that Rigel has been in more prisons than the rest of them. Like, he's been in yeah. prison for a really long time. 200 cycles or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's, like, definitely older than baby Sakozu is. Like, and I think mm-hmm. she doesn't quite realize that. Like, she must realize it on, a fun, on, like, some level. But I think it hasn't really sunk in yet that because of the way he acts, because he can act very immature or because yeah. he can act very immature, I don't think it has sunk into her yet that, nah, he's got a lot of life experience, you know? Yeah. Yeah, he does. And especially with being in prisons. <laughs> but yeah, and it's also kind of kind of neat to just to see Sukozu on shaky ground and not just being like inexperienced, but just like this has really freaked her out. Like this is mm-hmm. something that is like, oh my God, I should be dead right now. Otherwise I'm hallucinating. And I love that Rigel is kind of taking the Farscape attitude of like who cares about the reasons why or the physics why this is what happened and that's the fact that we have to deal with mm-hmm. yeah they're like this is the reality just deal mm-hmm. just roll with it you know <laughs> yeah now john has chiana and aaron and who are still small who are still small and he's been shot He's been he shot. Sh- Scorpius actually ends up getting captured because the rest of the guys come down to investigate why this guy that John took out with like the big swingy thing didn't come back. And so Scorpius stays to like fight them off and John runs away with Aaron and Chiana. Right. Scorpius is there to to give him an escape. It's time to escape because he's got to protect John Crichton and his brain at all costs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I'm going to play that because it's a really nice little checking in scene. You guys all right? Where are we? I can't see. You're out of the bounty hunter's body. But you're still tiny and you're stuck in the beer can. And since these cuffs are magnetic, we're not going anywhere in a hurry. All right, first priority, we get you guys out of there. No, first priority is rescuing the others. We can wait. All right. I need a new plan. I'm on it. Crichton, congratulations on retrieving the females. I assume they're alive and intact. Of course, you can't set them free nor restore their size without my help. I understand you care for them. I offer a deal. Turn yourself in and I'll restore their size and set them free. Yeah, why are you suddenly feeling so generous? You're costing me bodies and time. I'll pass up the bounties I'd earn on the females in exchange for you. What about the others? I'm not that generous. Maybe you'll feel more generous after you've lost a few pints of your own blood. And the pints of your own blood is in reference to the fact that John is now bleeding. So things have gone from bad to worse, as they usually do in Farscape Land. Yep. And he is uh, bandaging himself up during this conversation. The thing I really wanted to point out, though, was Aaron's response here. Because John's like, we got to get you big. And she's like, no, you got to rescue the others. Leave us here for now. And I want to contrast that to how John figured out that Aaron was not Aaron and he was still stuck in the video game last episode in John Quixote. We talked about that in that episode. But here it really highlights that Aaron is not someone who's just going to cut and run. These people are her people now, and she's going to make sure that they are safe before, you know, her own safety. Like, it is secondary to mm-hmm. her at this point. Oh, yeah. it. I think that that's such a good contrast because it really shows that, like, Aaron's growth. Let's remember way back to the first episode of the series where Aaron literally cuts and runs from this ship with John. And then when they get down to the planet, there is this moment where she kind of hesitates when Crace is like, okay, I'm going to take him for up for dissection. And she really has this moment of like, but he hasn't done anything. And I think that that's kind of where the beginning of this is. So we've seen mm-hmm. like four seasons of Aaron's character growth here. And I don't know. I just really like it. I love Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. I like it too. And uh, and then you have that conversation with, with the bounty hunters, like, well, be willing to give up the females. And he says, I know they are important to you. And I think that also highlights one of John's fears that we got expressed in John Quixote, that knowing who is important to him and who he loves will be used against him. And that is exactly what's playing out in this real life scenario here. That's kind of a parallel to the one we saw last week. Oh, yeah. 
So meanwhile, the head bounty hunter, alone in a room with Scorpius, says Scorpius in recognition, whereas none of the Mm -hmm. other bounty hunters knew who he was. And then it's revealed that Scorpius has figured out that he's actually a Scarin and that he's a Scarin spy. And he's been going around peacekeeper territory just doing what he wants because they all think that he's this other species. Yeah, I think the other species is called Kareshi or Karishi. Mm-hmm. And Scorpius had seen a file on them, which is how he identifies them when he was. I think that's a really great in world kind of explanation of like, oh, I know who you are because mm-hmm. I've seen files on you, even though people don't encounter you very often. But yeah, and it's, it's actually the, um, the mind reading trick that the, the Scarin tries to do the mind reading on Scorpius and he says that will not work. And I think it's like, it's that part of that recognition. And then we understand that the whole mind reading thing wasn't like the species, but it's actually because the Scarin is doing his heat wavy, whatever trick that the Scarins can do. Yeah. But I think it wasn't, I don't know that normal Scarins, the ones that just have the heat wave, I'm not a hundred percent that they also can mind read. Cause I think for them, the heat wave thing is also just torture. It was kind yeah. of, I kind of read it as, the high level scarens. Yeah. The ones that yeah. don't have, I don't know, I think John calls them like butt faces or something like that, or crocodile <laughs> faces, something like that. Scorpius calls them the the noble class or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember. But something, it is the high class. And I think you're right. I think there is a difference in ability, but I, I referenced the heat heat thing because that's what we saw in Look at the Princess with mm-hmm. the Scarin ambassador there. But so it's the next level. It's leveling up the ability. Yeah. Maybe it's like the Delvians where like <laughs> you get high enough and you can like you can even <laughs> you can do read anything people's minds without without pointing at him. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. So the spy is this upper class Scarin and you can tell he takes off his helmet when it's revealed and his face looks different. Like He's got more of human features on his face. He doesn't have the long snout, even though he has a lot of the other the other body features that Scarens have. Mm-hmm. So then the main bounty hunter, who's now revealed to be a, Scor- a Scaren spy, shrinks Scorpius and puts Scorpius in a can with Dargo and goes up to Pilot's Den to call mm-hmm. a dreadnought. And meanwhile, Scorpius now has to convince Dargo to call John, <laughs> which is a whole other like... Uh, and Dargo's like why should I trust you why should I trust you he's like just but fortunately Scorpius is actually able to listen and get distracted and actually translate real time the Scarin talking in Scarin language and I think that goes a long way towards convincing Dargo who then calls John and asks can we trust Scorpius and John's like more today than yesterday so Mm -hmm. you know there's a little bit of that going on and so then Dargo reveals to John that the Scarin is calling a dreadnought which is going to be bad for everybody on board because and that he's a scarin at all yeah and that he's a scarin spy and yeah it's bad for everybody involved including the other bounty hunters because as scorpius points out while greza may let everybody may let moya live there's Mm -hmm. no way the scarins are going to let everybody live Right. And so the where this conversation is taking place, Scorpius and Dargo are in a shrink cup in the armor of the Scarin bad guy in Pilot's Den. And John is setting up another trap of a guillotine of of DRDs who are going to shoot lasers at neck level to cut off the head of the next person who comes through. And Aaron and Shiana are in a shrink cup with him there. So he's setting up the trap. He well, They're having this conversation. And one conversation I do want to get to really briefly before we close out the Scarin loop is Aaron and Chiana talking within the cup. And Chiana is still blind from her slowing time. This is this is how this goes. How's the ride? We're all right. I'm still blind. Maybe. Maybe it won't go away. It's okay. Your sight's always come back before. Maybe this is one time too many. Well, what if it doesn't come back? Well, using your sight the way you did may be the only thing that saves us. Without those codes, we'll never return to normal size. It's just the dark. You don't know what's coming, and there's nothing you can do. I hate that feeling. Oh, Tiana. Uh, I know. I really like that that little exchange. One, because we don't get a whole lot of Chiana Aaron exchanges in the show. We've talked about that extensively. And here, you know, Aaron is trying to be comforting to Chiana while she's 
kind of freaking out about having her vision gone and worried that it won't come back. And also, I also think it shows what Aaron values is like, you know, you made a sacrifice for us that'll save us. And that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And she's valuing that Chiana has done that. And at the same time, you have Chiana with this primal fear of the dark, which I totally get. Like walking through a dark house and you're freaking yourself out with just strange noises when everything's fine and it's just the cat. But mm-hmm. it's that kind of fear, especially for someone who is sighted, who is not used to it, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that that's a good point about Chiana and Aaron kind of getting to have a moment. And I think it's a real echo of like the potential that they had. But also, I mean, I am choosing to imagine that they have a rich relationship <laughs> off camera. <laughs> but yeah, I think that it's this is Aaron trying to be kind, which she mm-hmm. is not always or which she does not always do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This is Aaron like really trying to make Chiana feel better in the only way she knows how. Right. Well, I mean, it also reminded me of the empathy that Aaron had for Chiana back in Taking the Stone mm. in early season two, where, where she really got where Chiana was coming from and was able to be the ear that she could talk to. And it's kind of that same, I mean, obviously they're stuck together here in a way they weren't down in Taking the Stone, but there's still that, that, that bond that they have, however strong or not strong it is, but on a, on a fundamental level, they are there for each other. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Aw. I love taking the stone. <laughs> I know. Getting back to John and the, the guillotine of lasers, which Aaron says won't work. And guess what? It doesn't work. <laughs> and there's more than one henchman who comes in and John gets cornered. And he gets, you know, hit in the head a couple times. And so he basically lays out for them that, hey, your boss is a scarin. And wouldn't it be better if you asked him if he was a Scarin? Because, you know, the peacekeepers or the Scarins are going to kill you when they find out about this. And it's bad for you. And you should go take care of this problem. Mm-hmm. So then the henchman, one of the henchmen is convinced and he goes up to Pilot's den and he says to the main Scarin, hey, take off your armor. And the Scarin is like, no, why would I do that? That's ridiculous. Okay, which implies to me that maybe there's like a release mechanism or something. Yeah, you know. Yeah, there must be. So the Scarin actually then presses a magic button, which he has laced all of their armor with explosives, and so mm-hmm. now all the bad guys are dead except for the main Scarin. So John has a plethora of shrink rays. Yeah, and then there's this really funny scene where he pulls off the arms. Uh, or the gloves of the armor and of course because it's like bonded to them he has to pull out like the muscle and he puts his hand in and he says it's still warm <laughs> it's just like oh that's so gross <laughs> so gross <laughs> so then john goes and he has a mano a mano fight with the main bad guy well he- first of all it he has the code for Chiana has the code for the handcuffs mm-hmm. so he gets Chiana and Aaron out of handcuffs, so they are no longer handcuffed. But he only has the shrink code that Shiana saw, not the unshrink code. So they're mm-hmm. still small. And so John then goes to fight uh, with the the Scarin who's trying to steal Aaron's prowler. Mm-hmm. And then Aaron jumps on 1812 and rides him like a beast <laughs> and yeah. goes to help. <laughs> you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Dune. Like she's riding it like a sandworm. It's amazing. Yeah, it's really great. And that's why I was so playful about this episode, just with the shrinking. And I just, I just really liked how they actually did it. They had like the looking into the into mm-hmm. the the cans, and then this scene is really great. And of course, eighteen twelve is like the second hero of this episode because he's like John's loyal companion, and he's talking to eighteen twelve more than he's talking to Scorpius. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, 1812. And like 1812 is like literally falling apart at this point. Like poor 1812. <laughs> I love he's it. He's such a boss. Yeah, he's <laughs> awesome. So then Aaron comes in and she has 1812 shoot out key components of her prowler. So now the prowler is out and the main bad guy shoots at her and she gets knocked off of 1812. And then John is like, hey, take on somebody your own size. And then he has a mono mono fight with the bad guy. And they, they proceed to like, shrink and then get big and then shrink and then get big and then uh, eventually john gets big and the bad guy is still shrunk and he squashes him with his boot 
<laughs> it's really great. And it's it also reminded me of the Buffy episode in season four when when the bad guy at the haunted house, I think it's the Halloween episode, and Giles didn't read it as like actual size. It's that exact kind of it's that same it's that same joke of like, ah, oh, you're so tidy, I'm just gonna squash you. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> so then we end up kind of having to have some cleanup where obviously everybody gets unshrunk and everybody is now out of the cups. But then John and Dargo have to figure out what they're going to do with Scorpius now that they know that the cage is pretty much just Scorpius enjoying his time off. <laughs> John, what the frill are we going to do with Scorpius? Man, I just don't know. He could have gone to ground, but he didn't. He put his ass on the line for us, I guess. I, I don't know. John. I, just, I just don't know. D, look. Bottom line. I don't think we have a cage that's gonna hold the son of a bitch. I agree with you on all counts. Yeah. We should still keep a close eye on him at all times. 24-7. Crichton? Yeah, right. There's a wrinkled old woman floating outside the forward portal. Whoa, gigantic oops. Can you do me a favor? Pop outside the tier three trouble inside hatch and haul granny in. Randy is outside. Yeah, don't don't ask. She She's got some red Play-Doh in her pocket. Does her that when she gets in, she should be all right. It's taken care of. <laughs> Dying of laughter. Oh my god! And there's also like a sight gag with Doriati earlier, like halfway through the episode, mm-hmm. uh, where she's just like floating in front of the forward portal, and you see her in the background while the bad guy has his back turned toward her, and he's talking about something else, and she's just floating. It's so space. good. Oh, man. Poor Noranti. Uh, and I love that it's like, oops, I forgot about her. <laughs> hopefully they're still under the three-hour time limit. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So then we get a moment where John goes up and he talks to Pilot, and then they call Aaron. And they ask Aaron, hey, we're being hunted by Scarens, peacekeepers, even in the uncharted territory. They're finding us. So we want to go to this place called the Tormented Space. Or called Tormented Space. Mm -hmm. And Erin isn't really on board with it, but she realizes it's kind of their only option. So she tells them that Tormented Space is a place where people go and they don't come back from. So it's this kind of like, what happens out there? We don't know. Bad things because no one ever returns. And so that's that's their new destination. And yeah, she's like, oh, it could be worse than the Uncharted Territories. You think that was bad? This could be definitely worse. And that's kind of the the, the heaviness that we're left with at the end of this episode is they're going to go to extremes and go on into this darker place than they've been all this time in the Uncharted Territories. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like it's if the Uncharted Territories is the Wild West, then like the Tormented Space is the swamp with the swamp monster in the Arctic and there's no light. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that makes sense. The swamp wouldn't really be in the Arctic, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it's definitely like a little bit more scary, a lot more going on, you know? Yeah, with monsters. So that's kind of where the episode ends. And yeah, what would you give this episode? I really liked it. I'd give it like a three and a half, you know, slightly more than a solid three, but not quite a four, maybe, or maybe a four. I don't know. Somewhere in that range. You know, I I feel really awkward because I'm like, I think I gave John Quixote like a three and a half, but I enjoyed this more than John Quixote, but this didn't have kind of the same grit that John Quixote had. So I'll go with you like three and a half. It's a solid episode, but not a favorite. Yeah, I would say that like it's on par with John Quixote in terms of the ranking systems, even though they're very different episodes doing very different things. Yeah, actually, that's a good point because like this had more meat than lava, but it definitely doesn't have the same as like natural election, which was another kind right. of felt very episodic, you know. Yeah, but that one had so much meat to it that it was really good that you almost couldn't stop talking, you know, or thinking about it, you know. Yeah. And, but this one had a few really key things and it moves the plot forward and it was entertaining and fun. And I really just like the shrinking and bigging and all that yeah. stuff. I think that's really fun. So, yeah. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny. It was a fun, it was like a fun little episode. And, you know, yeah. it definitely also 
kind of moves forward the John taking drugs plotline, you know, mm-hmm. because whereas last episode kind of left it vague, this one has John literally sniffing drugs all the time and actually giving himself away to the bad guys by sniffing drugs. <laughs> Yeah. And I think, I mean, where I think many people, especially when it came out, were disappointed with this episode was that it doesn't have a lot of the Aaron and John drama and plot line. So I can definitely see people not liking it for that reason. But in terms of the Scorpius stuff, I really like that aspect of it as well. Yeah. And to be honest, I don't really miss the John Aaron stuff because it's been really heavy for a while now. We need a break. Yeah. Yeah. We need a little bit of a breather. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a good thing. And I think it's good for the flow of the season. And this season was meant to be more episodic than some of the previous seasons were. Yeah. So, so yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, Farscape was like peak cable TV before it was a thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was the thing that a lot of TV shows are trying to do now where like everything is very serialized and you have to have watched, you know the whole season in order to literally understand it. I'm like, Farscape was doing that a decade ago. Well, actually almost 20 years ago now. Yeah, right. And But that was actually a complaint back then when we were still recording it on VHS. (laughs) And DVDs had just barely become a thing that you would buy regularly. So different times, man. Oh, man, yeah. No, that actually, yeah, that's when that's when like TV stations really used to do those marathons. And that's why you had to. You know, Mm -hmm. and I used to get so mad when sci-fi would like do a marathon, but it wouldn't be in order. (gasps) Those are the worst. You know, it was just like, oh, these are episodes that people liked. We're just going to all mash them together. And then you would like be like, wait, this is no, no (laughs) sci-fi network. Yeah. Um, on wardrobe watch, uh, we have the really cool, cool costumes of our bad guys, which I really like the co- the costume design for them and the creature design. I guess the only really notable thing is John gets in his spacesuit at one point at the beginning of the episode, but then he takes it off and he's just in his black t-shirt and leather pants. Mm-hmm. And then I think that's the only notable costume choice. Oh, I did think that, that Dargo's shoulder pads were very noticeable in this episode because his arms were stuck in front of him so that his shoulders were rounded in and so his shoulder paddy things um, <laughs> stuck out. <laughs> well, And there was like this really weird framing of a scene. It's the scene where Sokozu and Rigel are going at each other but because of the framing, her arms are apart and her costume is kind of like rucking up and you uh, were getting yeah. like a ton of side boob. It was like <laughs> it was like visually distracting to me because of where they had it framed. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like it's in yeah. like an area that of the frame that your like eye is drawn to and I was like, hmm. Right. They could have filmed that in a different way. <laughs> but they did do a cool little thing with that scene cuz they started with them uh upside down mm-hmm. as because they're in that magnetic cuffs and they're just stuck to a different part of the of the cup and then they flip the scene around so that they're right side up for the other half of it. So I thought that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So next week, what do we have? We have a prefect murder. I think it's one of the first episodes in Tormented Space. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm kind of curious. I have vague memories of this, but... Yeah. All right. So we are Farscape Friday podcast at Tumblr, DreamWith, and at gmail.com. We are Farscape Friday on Twitter. Feel free to hit us up in any of those locations. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.